it's the time of the week for an episode. Do you know that song? Yeah. Do you know who sings it? No. But wait, let me think. Uh-huh. It's the time of the season. I'll give you a hint. The first letter is the last letter of the alphabet. ZZ Top? Nope. Wait, is that even the last letter of the alphabet? <laughs> Z, yes. Okay. Z good. is in fact. Are you serious right now? I said to think, like, is it X or Z? I'm, I'm stupid. No way. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way. There's another letter after X. I know, but I was just thinking. <laughs> I was just thinking that the last letter of the alphabet should be the one that shows up the least in the language. I don't think the alphabet is ordered by occurrence. <laughs> Imagine. I don't think they made it and then were like, this is how every word will be spelled from now on. <laughs> it's the time. Wait, it's, it starts and ends with, Z, with no, Z? It does not end with Z. It starts with Z. And it ends with? S. Uh, the... Yeah, it is the something. Looks like we're playing Hurdle. Have you ever played Hurdle? No, I don't, I'm not good with music. I'm completely absent-minded when it comes to music. So are we just giving up on this trivia? No, hold on, just give me a moment here, please. Okay. I'm trying to think of, of musicians that I'm aware of that start with sad. Just blank. It might be one of those like eagles where it's not the eagles, it's just eagles. Oh man, is that supposed to be a hint? No. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't, I feel like maybe I was uh, sending you astray by saying it was this something, because I don't think it is. I think it's just blank. Starts with a Z. I'll tell you this. The S just makes the word plural. Oh my God. The zebras? <laughs> the <laughs> word starts with Z. There's at least two. The zoos? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so useless. How about this? I don't know if this will help or not. The cranberries have a song called this. Or maybe without the S. The cranberries? I can't even think of Zed words right now, let alone Zed musicians. Okay, well, there is a horror-adjacent TV show that we may or may not have to cover Uh based solely on the title. Uh, This isn't a great hint at all. The Walking Dead is around. (laughs) The Walking Dead? Oh, the zombies? Yeah, zombies. What the fuck? uh, What are the zombies? It's that's the thing, it's not the zombies, it's actually just zombies. I've never but, would have guessed that in a million years. Is that a 70s band? Yeah, maybe 70s, maybe mm-hmm. even before that. I don't know. I'm not so good at knowing when music came out because oh. when I was a young kid, everyone else was listening to pop music and I was listening to like 70s rock, so I have no real barometer for decades. Who gave you the 70s rock bug? I had a friend, Curtis, who just had a really good musical taste, and I was always intrigued by his iPod. Uh-huh. Um, and it was kind of a meme, like we, he was like the music guy in our group, so we would always pretend to have like broken his iPod. Oh, he had very good music taste, and we were jealous of it. That's why. And part of that was like seventies rock, and my parents were really into like 
folk and bluegrass and country. And that was my way of rebelling. Oh, against your parents. I think so. That's so strange. But I like folk music a bit now. Like, there's definitely some folk or indie folk that I'm really into. Still can't really get into country. And I don't know if that's why, but... I can't stand country. Yeah. Every morning, though, I give my attendants free reign, or at least first right of refusal on what music we're going to listen to while I have a shower. And sometimes I'll pick a country song. Why? Because they have bad taste. Oh, oh, the attendants pick a country song. Yeah. Oh. I always let them choose because it's like, in lieu of having to deal with my poo, I will play this song for you. Oh my God, it's a consolation prize for having to help with that sort of thing? Yeah, it's like you can listen to Ed Sheeran if you really must. <laughs> oh my God. I Yeah, it's the... I was going to try to rhyme poo with jukebox. I was just trying to think if we should ever cover music on this podcast because Ed Sheeran has a song that starts out if your legs don't work like they used to before. Uh, didn't Weren't you singing that when we covered that movie with... Um, Daenerys Targaryen? Maybe. Yeah. That's very possible. The me before you? Yeah. Right. So this is the song before poo. Right. That's I was going to say that. Yeah. Were you? I was. Yeah. Um, not sure if I should feel good or bad about the fact that we're both on the same page for that joke. <laughs> I'm pretty sure why that's why this podcast works is because on the subject of poo, we're, we are... Uh, <laughs> In sync with one another. Or, yeah, poo similar. <laughs> true to the poo. Stay true to the poo. We should have shared. Oh, no. Um. Yeah, okay, well, that's uh, my poo anecdote. Do you have any poo anecdotes? Not a single one. Do you think you would have the tolerance to just let someone free reign music around you? Or are you very specific with like what gets consumed by your ears? That's a good question. I'm I'm incredibly private with the things that I listen to because I I know that they're pretty unique to my overall headspace. And so if I play the music that I love in front of people, I feel like it's almost like they get too much of a sort of a picture of the climate of my brain. And you don't like the climate of your brain? Uh, well, it depends what kind of a mood I'm in. But right. yeah, I gen generally like I'm kind of embarrassed to the music I like. Really? <laughs> That's kind of weird, I know. Uh I don't think it's weird, but I also don't think you should be embarrassed. Sure. I like a lot of uh, cerebral ambient music that helps me focus when I write code. And I like a lot of like stereotypical, uh, I guess, like kind of like serious dorky white guy music, like uh, Tom York and Radiohead and James Blake. Why uh, is that embarrassing? I love Radiohead. Yeah, I know, but they're like really somber a lot of the time. And so you think if people hear you listen to Radiohead, they're going to be like, "Are you okay?" Well, it's not like it's not the kind of music you can put on when you have like groups of friends over. It's kind of the stuff you want to put it put on when when you need to like turn off the world around you and focus on something. Yeah, I don't know. It depends what the energy is for sure. But yeah, I I see what you're saying. Yeah. So what do you put on when your friends are around? I don't know. Sometimes if I'm like, if I've let my guard down or something, or I've had a few drinks, I would put on the ambient, like electronica that I really like to listen to. And do they make fun of you for it? Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause it's not really like group dynamic music. 
What would they rather you listen to, you think? Oh, I don't know. Like the latest Drake song or... Oh, yeah. But see, that to me is more embarrassing. Really? Like Drake is... I don't know. I just can't. He's so overrated in my opinion. Shout out to Drake if you listen to this. But like, let's have Drake on. We're going to have to cover Degrassi. I, uh, I'm regretting or loathing or whatever that. I don't know about that. We will have to though. I know. First of all, because not only is it disabled content, but it's CanCon. Yeah. So we're going to have to talk about it, like, probably in depth. And maybe we'll have to have Drake on to talk about it. It's interesting that, like, Drake is, his image is a little bit strange, right? Because people like his music. It's generally broad and approachable and catchy. But at the same time, he's kind of considered a dork. Is that true? I don't really know. I don't know my thoughts on that. I just know, you're right, like, everything he puts out gets very, very popular very, very quickly, and I never quite understand why. Yeah, there's there's something, it's it, it's like the Be- the Bieber effect almost, right? Yeah, but I would argue Bieber at least like has a very good voice. Yeah, there's there's demonstrable talent with Bieber. Probably Drake too. I mean, it's not easy to create a, an earworm that sticks. I don't know if that's true. I feel so. like the way he does it, it's kind of like DJ Khaled in, like, he just produces a bunch of music and shouts his name over top of other people. <laughs> and even though I don't really like his music or him, he still has something that makes hits. And I think you can figure out what that formula is. And then also when you're Drake level big, and all of your followers listen to something, all of your followers is the size of a country. But, you know, once you get big enough, you can just put out... Like, do you remember that song, Toothy Slide by Drake? I'm embarrassed that I even know it, but it's one of the worst songs. And it was basically... Can you sing a few bars? Not really. I just know it's basically like one foot front, one foot left. And it's the point of it, Basically, the the lyrics to the song are a dance that you're supposed to do on TikTok while you're listening to it. And so he sort of engineered the virality of it. Right. Okay. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So he knows how to market himself and basically harness exactly what talent he has in order to appeal to the algorithm. Yeah. I think that's exactly what it is. So there, there is that kind of like mass marketability savvy that even I kind of get get the sense of on the periphery. You know that song? Well, obviously everyone knows the song started from the bottom. Yeah. Okay, like, have you ever seen the TV show Broad City? Yeah, of course. Yeah, one of my favorite like skits from that entire series and then consequently like like the entirety of Comedy Central's kind of output in the last 10 years is one scene where <clears throat> like Abby... Um, who is a an illustrator, like a poor uh, early 20-something illustrator living out of New York City with her best friend, Elana. If people haven't seen Broad City, go, cover, go watch it right now. It's so good. Uh, but also, we had a guest on who was on an episode of Broad City. Shout out to Tony Lopez. For sure. A shocking number of people haven't seen Broad City. Like, it's it's pretty shocking what little reach it had, at least among my friends. 
And I guess I guess that would be a, a relatively small <laughs> corner of the universe. But anyway, like yeah, it's honestly like one of the funniest uh, TV shows uh, to come out of anything in the past like ten years. I got started on YouTube. They did, yeah. And then they were they were recruited by Amy Poehler, yeah. who just thought they were fucking fantastic, which they are. They just have this this comedic voice and the the friendly kind of chemistry. Their chemistry is so good. It's fucking off the charts, man. And it's like the, the perfect duo, the perfect complimentary voices for that for their particular mutual sense of humor. Yeah. But anyway, there's a scene, there's a cold open from Broad City where the two where the where the girls go to cash uh, like this massive check that Abby made, which I think is only to the tune of like fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah. And but it's like the most number of money, she, most amount of money she's made from a single illustration, and they're just on top of the world. And it's like it, it's them going to the bank to cash the check, and they play the entirety of the song started from the bottom, and it's just like them like like giving the bank teller like a bunch of attitude and shit or whatever because they just think they're like like a bunch like a couple of wealthy bitches yeah and, and it's the best man like it has so much swagger and it's just so fucking funny like yeah they're so funny just uh yeah i would have to rewatch that show for sure i mean that's i mean what i the point that i was trying to make is that's the best like drake adjacent piece of pop culture i've ever consumed yeah yeah well yeah like that's there are many drake songs that i know you know that you probably don't even know you know and sam with dj Khaled. you know another example of that is that mr beast guy are you familiar with him on youtube there's like this youtube channel called mr i think he probably has the biggest channel on youtube in terms of subscribers and he's basically just figured out how the algorithm works and marketed himself to grow a crazy amount. And like, even from a young age, knew what he was doing in terms of funneling his, his money and time back into this channel to make it grow and grow. And now it's just this massive, massive thing. And it started to creep out into the real world that like he has like philanthropy and he has like real stores and from a YouTube channel, it's kind of mind blowing. And a big part of that is just knowing what sells and how to sell it. Something that really fascinates me about like the passage, the passage of time as it pertains to entertainment is this idea that, that things under the pantheon of low art with time generally graduate to high art and it has more to do with um sort of people forgetting the prerequisites to something that is considered good and then also because the generation that sort of fostered or like like held that particular piece of pop culture close to their heart like sort of brings it into the collective limelight and says like this is now the benchmark for good entertainment and then it is it is the thing by which like all subsequent new art is judged and i often wonder how new media is going to sort of take on that particular tradition like i just have this a real trouble of thinking that some youtuber who is big now who it like is basically a human content farm and 
like is for all intents and purposes the lowest of the low art like will be elevated to the status of uh shakespeare or i don't know uh monty python or seinfeld or you know what you know what i'm talking about kind of yeah i mean like i don't really feel comfortable categorizing or ranking what art is better than what art i would much rather watch most youtube videos and listen to or read a shakespeare book but i i do see what you're saying like it's it's definitely changing in terms of the fact that there is such a thing as a content creator or an influencer that's all very new and those are gaining in reputability and we arguably are somewhere on that spectrum i mean for sure i wouldn't call this art i'd call it a conversation but if we smoke weed beforehand it would be high on it maybe yeah (laughs) hey a question um or not a question this is more of a confession i i was a huge english nerd in in high school i feel like that's not a secret yeah okay fine but um confession i like words (laughs) (laughs) yeah so but i I like i i I like never took for granted or like fully understood the appeal of shakespeare just because i was an english dork nor did i ever really like aspire to kind of like ingest that particular content to the level of somebody who should be able to explain shakespeare as though it were english to them you know like as though it were part of their common vernacular or something but um I kind of fell, I fell for Shakespeare when I watched uh, like Franco Zifferelli's Romeo and Juliet. I was like 16 and Juliet was played by Olivia Hussey. And I like, I like immediately felt the, the whole sort of like doomed kind of like love trajectory, like that, like the intensity of, uh, of the passion of between Romeo and Juliet, like it felt suddenly very palatable and real purely because of the degree to which I had a crush on this, this woman. And I think even like, she was a very young actress at the time, like around my age, like maybe even like less than a year older or something. And so there was this, like, basically the whole reason I got into Shakespeare was because of fucking like teenage hormones. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's a hilarious confession, but also you watched the movie. Yeah, but then I but then I like feverishly read the play afterwards. Oh, you did. Times. Yeah. Just picturing her saying those words. Yeah, and like and like like fully willing to take the friar's poison yeah. and like have the chance to fucking, you know, be with her. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, if I speak like this, will I be with Olivia? Yes. Uh, to this day, I still, it's like, it's like maybe the one time I had a crush on a person like in media to the same extent that I might on a person in, in real life. <laughs> That's really funny. I definitely never got into any Shakespeare. I think I saw a Shakespeare play once at a theater here in Ottawa, like a live action play. And it was fine, but Mm -hmm. I feel like I have to be too awake to try to decode what they're trying to say. I already have a hard time focusing on movies when they're talking to me very directly, to the point where I sometimes put, often put subtitles up 
just to like give myself something to look at so that I can stay focused better. And even then, my focus is bad. So when I have to watch a play, try to understand what they're saying, then try to decrypt it to be English, I just can't. I'm not saying that it isn't, there aren't great stories because they are obviously classics, but my Shakespeare trivia and my Shakespeare interest are both pretty abysmal. I think it's it's fully relative to the performance and to the level of investment and understanding in the material from the performers themselves. Like, I, I'm just thinking, As like, is I, any art, right? For sure. I've seen a lot of live theater in my life, and I find it very similar to like when you go to a live sporting event. And you don't get all the cinematic camera angles like from the former telecast for the sport. So you're you're not like you almost have to realize that you're not as close to the to the action as you're accustomed to being. So there's there's this level of of uh, production that isn't there. And when when like the performers are are talented and invested in the material, like that lack of spectacle can be inviting in a sense it can it can be an opportunity to connect with the performances to a greater extent than you might if there was more to kind of pull you out of it or to kind of like to kind of be that uh syntactic and that uh aesthetic candy but i'm just thinking like um there's been several live performances that i've seen that my sister has even been a part of where it's like the, the the actors get so invested that you you almost feel uncomfortable with the amount of uh honesty in front of you uh-huh. and it's like it's like holy crap like this person is really uh burying themselves on the fucking stage in front of this massive audience and they're full of they're full of charisma and they're like all of their personality is being harnessed toward this one particular performance and you can you can just kind of like fucking feel it the full the full weight of their presence and and personality like in front of you and you don't even fucking know them and so it's like what like holy crap i get why this i get why people do this sometimes people get bogged down in the pursuit of 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 meaning or in the conveyance of meaning and they need they need their this performance to kind of speak to some higher some higher like essence of life or something and that is kind of important like i do sort of understand the need for for weight in in storytelling but at the same time like authenticity is what people are ultimately looking for and you can't really bottle that or you can't distill it i don't know i, I think maybe i'm getting, falling off the rails here but i think you well, need- you're making a great point but it's also a great segue because you're talking about authenticity, the value of authenticity, and the value of weight in storytelling. I feel like that's a great jumping out point to talk about a movie that we just watched for this episode. Yes. It's hard to explain, but if... Look, here's a good example. When your mommy was pregnant with you, she gained a good 40 pounds. There was nothing she wouldn't eat, and daddy was scared. But when she'd ask me, how do I look? I'd say, honey, you look great. You're beautiful. You're glowing. If I'd have told mommy she looked like a cow, it would have hurt her feelings. Understand? My teacher tells me real beauty's on the inside. That's just something ugly people say. 
Max, no one can survive in the adult world if they have to stick to the truth. I could lose my case, I could lose my promotion, I could even lose my job. Now I need your help, Max, okay? <laughs> so, uh, guess what, everyone? We watched Liar Liar this week. Uh, for another episode in keeping with our Zoolander episode, which is where we draw a very tenuous connection to disability in order to talk about something near and dear to our hearts. And in this case, this movie is so near and dear to our hearts. I, all I ever wanted to be when I was growing up was Leonardo DiCaprio and Jim Carrey. You wanted to be both at the same time? Uh, if I could have Leonardo DiCaprio's face oh. and Jim Carrey's personality, <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio would have been my dream idol. That's and really strange, Tony. I don't mean to sound judgmental. You, I appreciate that. <laughs> and so, like we've talked about how much I love Jim Carrey at nauseum. This movie is so much fun. It's my sense of humor in a nutshell. Everything about Jim Carrey that I like is in this movie. Everything I I like about movies that don't take themselves seriously and they're just there to have a good time. Like you're saying, the weight is important sometimes, but sometimes it's just good to escape and have a good time and watch Jim Carrey overact you into stitches. Can I say something? I actually This is a podcast, actually. You don't have to ask before you say things. I know, but I, I have a feeling I'm about to say something that is going to potentially blemish your opinion of me. Oh. See, now, I'm not about to say that I don't like this movie. I very, very much do like this movie, and I laughed the entire time. Okay. And it, comple it completely brought me back to... Um, the first 10 to 12 years of my life when I watched this movie several times a month, especially when I was sick and had to drink ginger ale and like lie in my I'm parents' I'm honestly bed. not really listening to any of these nice things you're saying because I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> Luckily, I can't really do anything with shoes unless my parents are around. But um, You can drop them. I, I, that's true. I can drop pretty much anything. I this movie didn't have as much levity as I thought it did. Like watching it, what? Like yes, I. We were both laughing the whole time. I know, but I didn't feel it. It didn't. It didn't register to me as a light-hearted film. Well, yeah, like the undercurrent of it, as we heard in that clip, is the sort of man trying to find himself in the loneliness of chronic. Inauthenticity. <laughs> Chronic untruthiness. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I, I agree, but it's like, okay, so can we first try to pretend like the premise for today's episode is worthy of the podcast? I mean, it is. If you had this disability, this guy had a disability, which was chronic liarness. Yes. And he took the ultimate wheel breaker, which was to be able-bodied for a day, and I'm honestly thinking of this on my feet, so help me out here. To be uh -huh. able-bodied for a day, meaning he had to, he was completely cured of his compulsive need to lie. Oh, I like this. And and so he he was he cured himself, became 
able-bodied and joined the rest of the people who tell the truth. Yeah, where where able-bodiedness is honesty. Right, and remembered how much he hated it for a second. He was Uh like, this isn't great. I actually don't mind being disabled. I wish I could be disabled again. Oh. And wanted to go back to being disabled. But Uh then he was forced to live with this able-bodied reality for a while. Uh Uh-huh. Right, now my thing is kind of falling off the rails. Because at the end of it, he wants to be able-bodied. And that's not the message we want to deliver to little kids. (laughs) And expect them not to know what a Jim Carrey is. What a compulsive liar is. Right, that's much better. Uh, I like this. I like where you're headed. It's very creative. Uh, unfortunately, I, I think... <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, you're like the nicest professor. <laughs> it was a really good presentation. So you had all your facts straight. Unfortunately, it wasn't the assignment and you failed. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to come back to summer school. Okay. Um, I what My sort of proposal was going to be that he... Um, that the... Scenario that Jim Carrey undergoes in this film, i.e., being made unable to lie, uh, is incredibly debilitating for him. And it represents a disability because it renders him unable to function. Uh, oh, you went the complete opposite direction. I did go the complete opposite direction. Interesting. Yeah. So, so he's actually like going about his life and he's like totally able bodied. And then his son is like, Hey, you're being a bad dad and not a very good family man, but you are a loving person. And like, I'm crazy about you. And so is my mom. And so I I need you to be disabled for a moment so that you can sort of understand what you have and put your priorities back into focus. And so I think that his inability to lie is his cerebral palsy because. (laughs) (laughs) So you're saying that if you're, a child out there listening to this and your dad isn't the best dad you want him to be. Throw him in a wheelchair for a day <laughs> and he'll come out of that being a great dad. You know what? You're not wrong, probably. There's a lot of humility to be learned. For sure, yeah. Lots of times, like, a significant injury is enough to help people kind of reframe themselves. Yeah, I mean, how many times have you heard the classic... Oh, yeah, one time I broke my ankle and I was in a wheelchair for a week. I totally get what you're going through. Oh, my God. I hear that way too often. Yeah. It's like like temporary disability for able-bodied people is always a fucking come-to-Jesus moment. Especially when it's like you broke your ankle. The doctors never said, this might not heal. They just said, stay off it for a few weeks. Yeah. They always knew there was a light at the end of the tunnel. It wasn't like they were like... Oh, I don't know. This is going to be tough for you. Yeah, you just get a fucking temporary sabbatical from taking the stairs. What was yeah. you? Yeah, someone has to hold the door for you. Crazy. Yeah, but then you like went to Jesus. Imagine if us being chronically disabled means like you know we're always chilling with with uh, Jesus. I don't know where to go with that, but <laughs> I really don't know where you're trying to go. I want to go there with you, but. I... <laughs> I don't know. You're the churchgoer, so I thought you could segue that into something funny, but I guess not. Um, well, you, yeah, I mean, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, but like, I somewhat believe in the bullshit that I'm currently trying to sell you. Okay, so back it up a bit. What is, so the bullshit is, <laughs> if you're too high and mighty with yourself, 
or maybe like your priorities are unaligned, misaligned, and you need a dose of perspective. Mm-hmm. Be disabled. No, I'm just saying that the like the movie itself kind of makes a compelling case for um, disability being restorative. Maybe. Uh, oh, that's kind of gross. I don't know if cheesy. I like that. Yeah, it's really it's pretty bad. I like mine better, but I don't like how <laughs> mine ends in you want to be able bodied. Yeah, I I need to say like actually what it what it is what I found so compelling about the movie is that Jim Carrey rather than being a complete goofball 100 percent of the time and don't get me wrong he's a total elastic like totally off the wall completely manic explosive so and ridiculous cartoon of an individual of oh, course of course obsessed. he is but but very very interestingly he's deeply deeply angry and resentful yeah and and uh his job and his pursuit of career mastery Here, here's the thing especially like we do this all the time in all of our discussions of movies mm-hmm. and we're very guilty of it and we probably won't be able to stop but i feel it more so in this discussion than i have in the past because of my adoration for jim carrey mm-hmm. i feel like we should separate when we're talking about jim carrey the person and Fletcher, the character in this movie. We don't know Jim Carrey, the person. And the tr- the truth of why Jim Carrey, the performer, is so good is because there's probably a ton of the person in the performance. Yeah, but it's also, I don't think it's fair to be like, Jim Carrey is resentful. We don't know that. I think I think that's the root of a lot of why he's funny. There is a lot yeah, of uh, anger. It's very assumptive. That's presumptuous. It is presumptuous, yeah. I think if anything, it might be like sadness. Yeah, I mean, but I don't want to presume on it. It's it's all relative. I mean, he's also been diagnosed with bipolar. Yes, and that makes sense. I wanted to say, like, um, I I really do like the way in which his anger manifests in this film. The thing that I wasn't expecting, because I remember watching this hundreds of times as a kid, and I remember it being so funny like minute to minute it's only an 85 minute movie and as a kid i remember laughing pretty much the entire time yeah and i was and like when you're a kid you watch it from the perspective of 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 jim carrey's son so you're like when max wants to hang out with his dad you're like fuck yeah i want to hang out with him too he's so funny yeah. why why the hell would i not want to hang out with dad yeah he's such a cool cool guy you know and like like he presents like an adult and he's like he's like clever and explosive and funny in an adult kind of way but then also so much of his humor like taps into your inner child and so it's like as a kid when you watch him you're like connecting with that with uh, his sort of being in limbo between those two worlds the reason why he's a comedic titan for so many uh, people of our generation is because we feel like he was a child alongside us yeah, he's also a very sympathetic character, despite being, you know, a, a comedy movie where the, the root of the movie, sort of the premise of this movie, not unlike Ace Ventura, is all sort of written around Jim Carrey's ability to be this kind of actor. Yeah, like, for sure. I, I can't think of another 
actor that can play Ace Ventura, and I can't think of another actor that can play the guy in this movie. I don't know, Fletcher. Fletcher, yeah, yeah. Uh, even Jim Carrey playing a um, like a white collar, uh, uh, suited sort of like American psycho esque lawyer, uh, it seems to be against type. But he you know, like is even as an adult watching it, he's quite convincing in the role. Like he does play a slimy lawyer very very well. You you buy it hook line and sinker, and um, his like uh, I like cruel and ironic detachment from the realities of the the types of people that he defends and the the kind of work that rewards him uh it's all there you know like as yeah. an adult it's like there's enough there to hold my attention i can watch it i can watch it as a 30 something yeah it's not just like the mask where it's just absurd and over the top sort of strange this has a lot of grounded character traits. And Jim Carrey plays them all really, really well. Mm-hmm. What I was uh, talking about earlier, though, like Max's desire to hang out with um, with Jim or Fletcher, like watching it as an adult this time around, yeah, I'm sort of watching it as both Fletcher and his, his wife. Like I remember as a kid, uh, Jim Carrey's wife in the film is played by Maura Tierney, who if you... If you're into movies or TV at all, like she's kind of a of, of a titan, like she's a veteran. She was a a character in ER. Uh, she was in a fantastic HBO series called The Affair. She's all over the place. She's one of those kind of character actresses that, uh, generally speaking, like knocks it out the park with everything that she does. And when I was a kid watching this movie, I always used to think of Max's mom as the downer. Like, you know, right. why, why can't she just accept Fletcher for who he is? He just, he's fucking hilarious. Like, he obviously loves Max and Max loves Jim. So, you know, like, why are you d- divorcing Jim? And you're hanging you're out with this, it through the lens of the kid. Yeah. You're like, you're hanging out with this like loser dad played by Carrie Elwes, who's basically just like, you know, very meek and, and, and uh, affable and friendly and loving, but also he has like no edge, like no confidence, no character, no presence. He's like kind of a doormat and he's a temporary solution to like, you know, an ongoing marital, marital squabble between Jim and Mora. I think it was uh, also intentional that they are so similar. Like the, stepdad or whatever was like this boiled down version of what Jim Carrey was supposed to be. He was yeah. like nice but not funny. He was he almost looked the same. He kind of talked the same but without the same charisma. And it was I think very intentional. Yeah, there's like the way that they dress, their hairstyle, the the kind of like nineties beige pastel suits that they wear and okay. all the like all the kind of straight edges of their overall uh, presentation. He looks basically like what if uh, Fletcher uh, was without cruelty and uh, without a sense of humor. Exactly. And so he, he is like presented as an interesting counterpoint to our lead character. But the interesting thing is casting Carrie Elvis in the role is a really funny decision because we know based on our experience with the princess bride, that Carrie's actually quite funny. Like he's also a very good performer. And so him being so demonstrably uninteresting uh, or just like, 
overwhelmingly bland uh, is a very calculated part of the performance, I think. Yeah, he's like, like basically, I'm one just of saying those, he was, like, so nice that it's like almost off putting. You're like, yeah. do you have this? Can't be really you. Like, you there has to be some edge. Someone has hurt you at some time. There has to be like nobody's this pure. So, like, what are you covering up? Well, Jim Carrey describes him as Magoo, and I actually don't think. I actually don't think that he's so nice as to be inauthentic or deceitful. And I, is I, the perfect term. Yeah, just he's just boring. That's all. Yeah, he's just like like you a half baked person. Yeah, the thing is though is that his his like Carrie's love for Mora is unconditional. His desire to make Max happy is also unconditional and like you know spoiler alert at the end of the film when mora decides to try to make things work with jim uh carrie is not positioned as like a jilted lover he's not like angry at her he doesn't become toxic he's like you know what i recognize that this is the best thing for max which is a really interesting decision as well like nowadays if this film were made depending on the politics of the director they would position Carrie as like a, a beta male or, you know, I don't know, like some... I, I never know who you're talking about when you say Carrie. Are you meaning Jim Carrey or Carrie Elvis? Uh, sorry, I mean Carrie Elvis. I mean Jim. I mean Jim when I, I say I feel Jim. like we're not saying that name correctly. No, Elvis. and I can't... I, I don't want to say like Elvis every time. Mike told us how to say it. I know he did, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I need to be fucking J.R.R. Tolkien to know how to say it properly. Like, what the yeah. fuck is... What is that name? Sorry, yeah. sorry, How people. How dare you have this. a different name? <laughs> it's just the 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 W juxtaposed with the V. I'm a little offended by that because I have one of those names that nobody tries to pronounce properly, and I feel like people probably say, "Well, who chooses a name like that?" I didn't. Tony, can 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 your autobiography be a parody of disabled movies called Left Foot? See, that's not how you say it. Sorry, McCall left foot. Yeah, there you go. Cool. But no. <laughs> what what wider point am I trying to say about this movie? I think you're uh, trying to say that if you're a child and your dad isn't great, throw him in a wheelchair for a day. Yeah, that's, I mean, sure, sure. I think that's what you're trying to say, which is definitely a cheesy maybe even pretentious thing to say to be like disabled people have it figured out i don't think i like that i don't i don't think i completely like that sentiment i actually don't think that the the overall kind of solution prevent, presented by the movie for jim carrey's predicament is all that interesting like you know discovering the value of honesty and whatever whatever but i do find it really fun the ways in which jim cannot function when he's unable to lie and oh, yeah. the, the other thing that I find really fun is this, there's a genuine palpable sense of crisis throughout the movie. Like from the moment that Jim realizes that he can't lie, it's similar to someone realizing that they suddenly can't walk. They're like, oh my God, my world means like means it, it, my, my world's totally turned upside down. I don't even know what to do. I don't want to go to work. I should probably just go home and sleep yeah. this off. You know what I mean? Whatever and, I can do to be able-bodied again. Yes. He he dials the frustration and the anxiety to 11 
for the next like at least 45 to 60 minutes and you and you actually do you're like yeah what the fuck is he going to do all of his cases like the the foundations of all his legal arguments are based on lies he he can't even interact with his coworkers or the women in his life unless he's able to lie and you know what it almost is it almost reminds me of what i went through right after getting a feeding tube because like i got a feeding tube put in uh, and it was really unplanned i basically like the long and short of it is essentially right i went in for the hospital went into the hospital because i was sick woke up with a feeding tube because that's what they thought i should have and after that i went through this whole thing of like Whatever I have to do, get it out of me. I don't want this. This isn't me. I just want to go back to not having a feeling too. And then eventually realizing, like, all right, maybe this is okay. Can I make an offensive analogy? Yeah. So, like, <laughs> don't sound so defeated. You know that stupid... No, I was excited. Ro- okay. There's a stupid uh, RoboCop remake with Joel Kinnaman. Okay, yes, this is offensive. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it came out in like 2012 and like everyone forget forgets it exists because it has like no visual identity, nor does it really like fully understand the source material. But there's a compelling kind of scene um, where Joel Kinnaman gets in a in a fatal uh, accident and he kind of wakes up and subsequently realizes that he's a cyborg. Okay. And that's that's pretty similar to. I think what you're talking about, like waking up suddenly with a feeding tube or like even when you go into orthopedic surgery and you wake up with a different body in the lower half of your, you know, it's like that realization that going forward, nothing will be the same. It also kind of reminds me of my dad because biological dad or your, your stepdad. My, yeah, like my foster parents, Uh Um, because he it's, he's having a harder and harder time walking right now. And it's at the point now where I just keep saying, just get a wheelchair or get a walker, something, and it will give you a little bit more freedom in your day. Uh-huh. And he's like so resistant to doing that. Yeah. It's, but it's... at the end of the day, I feel like if he, if I could just blow a candle and be like, I just wish my dad had a walker for one day. Uh-huh. Then at the end of that day, he'd be like, you know what? I think I'm going to have this walker. Yeah, it's like when the, that time in my life for five years when I resisted getting a power chair. And then I got yeah. one and I'm like, you fucking idiot. Yeah. You fucking idiot. You fucking idiot. It's like when like, I got laser eye surgery. I was like, why did I wait so long? It's like the wrong tool for the wrong job, basically, and just tolerating it out of pure stubbornness. But yeah, whenever um able-bodied like elderly people refuse to get uh, mobility devices it's like an indirect confession that they think that getting said mobility devices um is a resignation of some kind yeah or that if you do it it will expedite the decline for sure for sure which is to also suggest that the day-to-day lifestyles of disabled people are just a constant decline (laughs) Well, but the thing is, it's also kind of true. Like with my disability, for sure, it is a sort of if you don't use it, you lose it kind of situation. And so I do have to force myself to do things that I can still do as long as I can still do them. Like I'll have to push myself sort of beyond my own limits quite a bit, or at least I think I have to force myself. I probably shouldn't. I actually got 
almost stuck in the rain because of it the other day. But there are definitely, there is definitely a a voice in the back of my head being like, don't let go of this too soon or you'll give it up forever. And that is sort of a scary thing to wrestle with. Yeah. I mean, in your case, it just sounds like a couple extra precautions or going out with the right people and making sure that you're if not If I'm stranded. out with someone, then I'm super confident. Like, I, even if my hand gets too cold, they'll help me. I'm not worried about that. I've also been getting way better at asking for help, probably just because I don't have another option right now. Like, if I'm out with my friends, my hand gets too cold or slips or whatever, and I need it to be repositioned, I have to ask for help. Otherwise, I can't continue with my friends. So I just, out of sheer desperation, have to ask for help. But like the other day, I, I went for a walk and it was a really hot day. One of those days where it's like so hot and so humid, you know it's probably going to rain. But it didn't call for rain until 5 p.m. or even later maybe. And it was like two in the afternoon. And so I went for a walk and I remember getting to this one milestone in the walk where I'm like, if I was more able-bodied, I would just cross that bridge and go back on the other side to get a different change of scenery. And I would do that. And then I just sort of autopiloted, went across the bridge and remember thinking, oh, wow, I was just talking about how in another universe, I would have done this. But now I'm living in that universe. This is crazy. And I started like trying to analyze myself. Like, am I making a mistake here? And I was like, whatever, it's fine. The bed has been made. And then sure enough, like five minutes later, it slowly starts to rain. And I slowly start to panic because I'm now further from home. And I have a longer journey to get back because of this thing that is inside me telling me, push yourself to the limit, otherwise you won't be able to push yourself at all. And I got to a point where I had to try to adjust my hand, and I tried to adjust my hand and slipped off the joystick, and I had no way to get back. So I was just sitting there waiting for someone to come by, and then after a couple of people just like averting their gaze as they do, like, don't look at the disabled guy and make him uncomfortable. Don't look at the disabled guy and make myself uncomfortable. So eventually I was able to make eye contact with someone who also wasn't wearing earphones, asked them to come help me. They did put my hand back where it needed to be, gave me just enough juice in my arm to get home. But that was like a bit of an eye-opening moment of like, there is something to be said about my dad knowing what his limits are versus me potentially pushing myself too far. Do you regret that whole situation? No, not in the slightest. It was very good for me to be put into that position, to have to ask for help, to realize what the consequences are. And it was humbling, but also empowering at the same time. (laughs) If it wasn't raining, would you have panicked? No. No, it was entirely, I was like, oh no, I have to now get home more quickly, which was, I was very much taking my time, which gave me a lot of confidence because 
it was a nice day. I had nowhere to be. So I might as well just take my time. But then it started raining and immediately there's a deadline. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. I was just thinking like there should be some kind of established convention for pulling foot traffic over to the side, excuse me, to the side of the sidewalk to help, to help a wheelie. Yeah. Like when an ambulance has its lights on, everyone has to pull over. And when a disabled person is just stopped in the middle of a bike path, assume you should. The thing is, sometimes I've stopped just to like send a text or something. And somebody in their car or on their bike or walking will go out of their way to come up and ask me if I'm okay or if I need help. And I always make a point to be like, no, I'm good, but thank you for asking. Because I want to like encourage them to ask the next, because I know I've seen it where some people are in that situation and the disabled person goes, no, I'm fine. Or like trying to snapshot them. Like, don't assume I need help just because I'm disabled. Yeah. And it's like, no, he's assuming you need help because you look like you need help. And good for them for asking. <laughs> you should like come up with a system where you like, uh, like tie a $50 bill to a string. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then like. Or one of those like, like sea deers. You know, we have like the jet skis, and if your hand falls off the handlebars, the jet ski just stops. But it's like yeah. a reverse, where if my hand falls off the joystick, the $50 bill falls down into my lap. So <laughs> somebody has to walk up to me. Yeah, right, exactly. Or like, I don't know, what's, what are other things that people would stop dead in their tracks for? Like, if it was fucking 2016, you could like, like hack the Pokemon Go app to get like a Charizard. To be, like, exactly where you are? I could have, like, a grenade type of thing where, like, as soon as... Well, like, that same mechanism where as soon as I let go of my joystick, like, a blood packet in my chest opens and just starts filling my shirt with fake blood. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) What do you think? And then then they, like, come up to you and they're like... (laughs) Somebody call an ambulance and you're like, actually, could you just move up my hand like an inch to the left? It's actually just catch up. I'm fine. <laughs> or like uh, a sign flips up on the top of my chair that just says help in like Batman <laughs> and Robin letters. <laughs> like like a like a neon sign for a strip bar or something. Yeah, it's like those cartoon Bugs Bunny guns where he shoots a gun and a flag <laughs> just comes out and says bang. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good idea let's invent that <laughs> like there we need to create some kind of an app that will trigger like an attendant flash mob <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're right though. i do the thing is once it starts to happen and i can feel myself getting to the end of my own rope in those situations i have this thing that goes through my head which is wild that i have to do it but i guess also good that i'm doing it um, where I'll start to be like, okay, so based on where I am, I know I can call this person and they'll be able to get here in a couple of minutes to help me. Oh, wait, no, they're over at their friend's place. So I can actually just call this person and they might be like, I have like this laundry list of my network that I can call in those situations if I need help. Yeah. And whenever I start to have to think about those things, I know I've probably pushed myself a bit too far, 
but I also feel a little bit empowered that I have people to call. Yeah, for sure. I well, only once in my life did I ever have my power chair break down and I didn't have cell service. Yeah. It was actually like in the deepest part of the tunnels at Carleton University. Um, the gearbox in my in my power chair motor froze and I just couldn't move and I couldn't use a cell or anything. So I had somebody like one of the students, I just pulled them aside and I'm like, can you please call these people yeah. and tell them to come to Carlton and help help me like this is my idea or whatever. And so they did. And then so motion specialties actually came to campus. But I was lucky that it, my chair failed before before um, the the late evening because they weren't going to be doing like remote visits or whatever right. after five o'clock or something crazy like that. So I was like, basically, I had a fucking angel over my shoulder and I was actually able to fucking survive it. Do you ever do this thing that I do in those moments where you somehow feel like you should be proud of yourself? Like, yeah. Like, even though it's nothing to do with anything you did, you're like, good for me for having a chair that doesn't break down after hours. Honestly, like this is it's one of those situations where you feel relief and yet it's actually kind of hilarious too because it's like in your head you're like fucking of course this happens because yeah. shit like this always happens when you're disabled like the stupidest the stupidest inconvenience will occur because of your own physical inability to really prevent it from escalating it it it, it will escalate and it just gets sillier and sillier it's like it's like yeah. the incident with my mom's fucking floor like i know i was drunk but like really that shouldn't have happened and it did because life is ridiculous and just an absolute fluke yeah so is having to use a power chair on a daily basis and so it's like so it's funny because you end up like you're like only like only with disability could this happen so you're laughing because you're like i can't i can't wait to tell this story from the safety of my home like when i'm uh, when every when all the dust is cleared and then it's like when you actually do solve the problem, it's like, holy fuck, one of the worst scenarios happened and I solved the problem and it didn't require the intervention of one of my friends who is always asking me the question, what would you do if I wasn't here? You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I don't think it's exclusive to disability. I just think it's so unique when it happens to disabled yeah. people because the problems are so similar but unique in their own way like you and i can talk about things like this with complete understanding but uh -huh. as soon as you bring these problems in front of an able-bodied jury they go wait what how are you okay yeah and between disabled people say yeah we we know we don't let, let me tell you another story and beat your story or whatever i think as disabled people we're always kind of worried that we're going to have to relinquish whatever little control we do have over the physical aspects of our lives. And those situations kind of teach us that even when we do lose control, it will be okay. And the most important yeah. thing to the most important thing to do is fucking be calm and laugh. You know, pull together whatever resources you have, but ask for help. It's all about being calm. But uh, you know Mythbusters, right? The uh, Adam Savage, one of the guys, has this story that I've heard him tell of a time where he was scuba diving for some myth, where he was in a car 
underwater trying to escape the car. And it was a very, you know, coordinated effort. He wasn't just underwater in a car. He had a scuba suit and everything. But a bunch of stuff that could go wrong did go wrong. And he was basically stuck in the car. And it was a very, very dangerous, potentially life-threatening situation for him. And he talks about how the only thing that saved him was his refusal to panic. Like, he made a very conscious decision in that moment to stay level-headed and just think, okay, what do I need to do to solve this problem? Because as soon as you start panicking, you're right, that's exactly what happens. Everything starts to crumble. When you get flustered, it, it just makes everything worse. Way easier said than done, but when this was happening and my hand was falling off and it was starting to rain, I was panicking a bit, but I had honestly my dad's voice in my head being like, everything's okay, we're going to be fine, you're just going to have to stop here, tilt back a bit, and that's exactly how my dad talks, and that's exactly how my inner monologue was talking, and it was just, be calm. Agreed. Yeah, it's you, you kind of get in, I get into a headspace where I'm like, I can't wait until I'm able to tell people that I fucking solved this problem. Yeah. I can't wait till I find a person I know I can tell this story to without them going, oh my goodness, are you okay? Yeah. Because I appreciate that. Like, I do appreciate the concern, but obviously I'm fine. I'm here now. Mm-hmm. And if I wasn't, I would start the story with, so I broke my hands, and this is how. So how does all of this relate to liar life? Let's find out. (laughs) Let's listen to an example of Mr. Fletcher's inability to lie. Can it change, mister? Absolutely. Um, Could you spare some? Yes, I could. Uh, Will you? Oh, God. Because I believe you will buy booze with it. I just want to get from my car to the office without being confronted by the decay of Western society. Plus, I'm cheap. I just I love that because like he's he's being outwardly cruel to the uh, homeless person, which is what he would not be able to prevent himself from doing with this particular disability. Uh, And so he's being confronted with the true extent of his own like uh prejudice and then at the same time he also has to admit to himself that he's a cheap fucking asshole yeah and so it's like it's hilarious because it's like i don't know it's like he's confronted with the crisis of his true self constantly and he like he can't handle it like you're saying it's just so fun to watch him act as if these words are just escaping him and yes he can't control it and he's shocked by it and he's embarrassed and wants anything but to stop saying things but he's compulsed he's compelled to just say exactly what's on his mind and the clip is hilarious listening back to it but even just audio only doesn't do it justice because so much of Jim Carrey is his physicality and his like his face and his expressions and how you can like feel like the scene of him trying to write the pen is red <laughs> is so overacted, over the top, absurd and goofy. But it's also just like a testament to how physical he is. And like 
there's only a handful of comedians that can really pull that off. Yes. Uh, it's like I keep saying it again and again, <clears throat> but like you get the sense that Fletcher doesn't know who he is if he's unable to deceive people. Uh, it's the entire like core of his identity. It's where he derives all of his self-confidence and sense of self-worth. And so when he can't even write on a piece of paper that a blue pen is red, he literally gets to the point of self-harm and he becomes like a physical tornado in his own office. Like he's like clearly a threat to himself and the world around him. And like that, like watching it as a kid, it's funny because like adults don't do this. Like what, who is this cartoon character? But then watching it as an adult, I don't know. There's just this strange kind of respect that I have for the fact that Carrie makes Fletcher's uh, panic feel very, very real. Yeah. He definitely is able to show the emotion of a guy who is sort of jaded beyond repair. Yeah. And, lies almost as a sport. Yes. And then is forced to completely exhume himself from that dynamic yeah. and struggle with the mental torment that ensues. Yeah, it's like it's really interesting because it's like there are so many moments in the movie when people learn of his predicament and then they exploit it. Yeah. Where they're like, oh, he can't lie to me. So this is my opportunity to ask him for the truth and they ask him the question and he looks at them like oh my god i am about to hurt you with the truth and i don't want to do this but i can't stop myself so there's like literal anguish on his face right before he says what he really thinks and like it never stops it it never stops being entertaining and like there's also a level of honesty in it to be honest like w- this isn't yeah. this isn't a brilliant comedy but it is a really i think it's a really good comedy and the the politics i should say like up front are not are not great but i'm kind of like on the fence about it at the same time because it's like we know that Carrie is admittedly an awful, awful person and he he even has to say out loud to himself and to the people around him that he's a bad father. And so there are very, very real consequences to his prejudice, to to his cruelty, to his misogyny. Like he's never not suffering the consequences of those behaviors. So to an extent, you could argue that the film does not validate them. Like there are several moments in the movie where um, if the fact that Jim Carrey can't lie gets him in hot water with, with women. Like, I mean, right after his son uh, wishes that he, that he be forced to tell the truth, uh, Carrey's just waking up from a sexual encounter with his boss and he's totally uh, like had sex with her just to advance his career and, all that. But then, you know, the boss asks him how the encounter was, and he has this one-liner. Is it good for you? (laughs) I've had better. (laughs) So this starts off a a string of interactions that Fletcher has with women who aren't his ex-wife throughout the movie, where literally every time he has an encounter, he ends up saying something awful that results in some sort of like 
physical altercation with the women. Like, you know, they slap him or push him away or, you know, I don't know, throw things at him. And it, it does sort of suggest that the modern male uh, would not be able to get along with women if they couldn't lie. Uh, that does seem to be a running theme. And then, of course, the one true and authentic man in the film who... I don't know if it's that, but... It, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty overt. I mean, like, like, we've all had thoughts that we've kept to ourselves for the sake of them being hurtful. I know, I know. I think it's just like, obviously, you dish out compliments and you reserve insults for yourself if you're a good person, whereas this curse almost makes him just say the worst thing he's thinking. It's like a mean Tourette's where like whatever terrible thing he's thinking, he has to say it. Um, Obviously, if it's the truth. But I mean, yeah, it's definitely dated, but it's still, I don't know, I still thought it was a really funny movie. I, I like, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that the the implication of some of its politics may not necessarily be the best. Like there are parts of it that are a product of its time. Well, there's and also women in it that are not great. That yes, for sure. Yeah, there's there's absentee mothers and fathers. We yeah. will say. Um, and so yeah, I'm just I don't know. I I don't know. I'm I'm reading into it a bit, but um. What was I trying to say? Like, I just, you could imagine as a guy, if, if there was a scenario in which, like, for example, your your penis took like full on center stage of your inner monologue and you uh-huh. had to say, you had to say every thought that crossed your mind as yeah. a result of your fucking male anatomy. Yeah. Like it would get you somewhere. It would get you somewhere. Get me somewhere. Maybe not where I wanted it to be, but I also like... Because that's how the movie starts is with that one line of I've had better. And then it's just like the whole next like four hours or four six hours of his day just running it through in his mind, being like, I've had better. I can't believe I said that. That's a great. And I've definitely done that before. Not necessarily with a mean comment, but sometimes just like, I wish I had a better line or I I came up with a joke after that I really wish I could deliver in the moment. And I've uh-huh. gone through in my head over and over again, playing the scenario, being like, how do I get to a point where next time that opportunity comes up, I say this thing instead. Yeah. Plus he's like kind of a like a sexually repressed divorcee. Yeah. And so it does sort of make sense that his mind would be monopolized by those kinds of thoughts of when he's like encountering a single woman in public. Yeah, like I've definitely way overanalyzed some one word that I've used that I'm sure the other person didn't even notice. But in my <laughs> head, I'm like, I can't believe I said that. I'm so stupid, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But ultimately, he realized that he deserved it. Getting what I deserve. I'm reaping what I sow. I'm. <laughs> that's what I. That's a common line that I have with a few coworkers. Whenever I break the build or or screw up something, they like will say that like, "Oh, I yeah. fucked up that. Uh, I fucked up." And then they're like, "They'll be like, you're getting what you deserve. You're reaping what you sow.'" <laughs> <It's> so. <good. laughs> 
I love it. I know. I love that line so much. I went out and got it when I saw that it wasn't in your list of clips. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I do want to mention, like, I love the chemistry between Fletcher and Demario Tierney in this film. Yeah. Like, they are two very, very good actors. And, like, the whole sort of the prerequisite to the resentment between them, it feels very lived, I got to say. Uh, especially watching it as an adult, like everything that they say to one another is tinged with frustration that their marriage didn't work out. And Maura's character has way more dimension than I ever remember it having, like as a 12-year-old, of course. But she's able to kind of tip for tat with Fletcher in a way where like you can kind of tell that she, she loves him, but she doesn't want, like she can't give him any more rope. Yeah, and you can tell that she keeps wanting to give him a rope yeah there's 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 a lot of texture there uh there's one sort of a interaction that fletcher has with uh, his wife where he's trying to explain why he mix he missed max's birthday and he can't lie about the sexual encounter that he had so he ends up having a really uncomfortable exchange with her hello Audrey? Fletcher, hi. Are you still picking Max up from school today? Here's the thing. I really can't. I had a case I was certain would settle, and it didn't, and I have to go to court this afternoon. Right. It's true. I really want to see Max today. How about that? I really do. Uh-huh, but things just keep coming up at the last minute, right? Yes, but this time it's different. I see. And how is that? Now I'm telling the truth. And last night you weren't. No. Well, what were you doing? Having sex. Well, I hope that it was with someone very special. No, see, that's the thing. I don't even like her, but she's a partner, and I thought I could help my career by making her squeal. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That'd be so fucking devastating to have that fly in your mouth. No. I definitely have examples that I won't share, but that do come to mind of me saying things and immediately regretting, like, how can I... Why did I just... Well, not to this extent, or even in this context, but definitely where I'm just like devastated, like baffled that I said that. Like, what just came over me? Yeah, and so the great thing is that, like, like Jim himself is mortified that he said it. Like, he has a he physically collapses after having said it. Like, oh fuck, I know I just delivered the worst possible emotional haymaker, and his wife actually is not positioned. As like, you know, in a movie that had more uh, kind of uh, marital resentment, like she would use that as kind of ammunition to to stick it to him or to punish him. And she's just like, well, fuck you. I didn't need to know that. I hope it was worth it. Basically, like she still ends up basically like having the higher horse or whatever. Why can't I suddenly speak? Well, also goes back to your point of... You can tell she still loves him because you can tell that still hurt her. And she still didn't want to hear it. And if she didn't love him anymore, she wouldn't care. For sure. For sure. She definitely puts up with more than she should. Yeah. Uh, And like, I mean, it's, it's kind of dubious as to whether or not like Fletcher's second chance that he gets at the end of the film is really warranted. But all I'm saying is that the chemistry between the two of them in order to sell their uh emotional proximity it's like it's totally there you know like for uh for a comedy that's ostensibly for children 
it, there's it, stuff stuff is going on stuff is definitely going on i don't know if we made enough of a case that it's disability related stuff but this movie's still so fun well yeah i know i mean like it's it's just fun for Fletcher to realize the extent to which he cannot function and then the extent to which that is a problem. Yeah. And then also to reevaluate for himself what it means to be able to function. Yeah. So he's like he's like going through a kind of arc that is sort of similar to I suppose an acquired disability or Yeah, maybe if you were a gymnast and then you break your neck doing gymnastics and then right <laughs> after you're like just Whatever I can be to go back to doing triple backflips or whatever gymnasts do. Mm -hmm. But eventually, ideally, hopefully, you have this realization that maybe you'll be able to find a silver lining in all this. Mm -hmm. It's funny that we came at disability from completely opposite directions. I honestly didn't really think about the disability angle that much. I thought that the disability was his inability to lie. But in the case of this movie, you are right that telling the truth compulsively is the disability. Yeah, for sure. Um, Like, disability is defined relative to a certain status quo. Yeah. And the status quo for Fletcher is one of deceit. Yeah. No, it's, it's a perfect analogy and the perfect way to make this relevant. I didn't even really think about it because... I just wanted to watch this movie, but <laughs> I, also like you can tell they had so much fun making this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, some of my favorite lines that I use with my friends out of nowhere, those quotable quotes, are outtakes from this movie. I know, yeah. Like the one outtake where their uh Fletcher and the other lawyer are going tit for tat in the courtroom and she just shouts over actor and it just stops him dead in his tracks. It's just the perfect uh, so funny because like I don't know but it was such a good moment of lighthearted roastery. Uh it caught Jim Carrey off guard and you can tell he wasn't offended by it. He was almost found it endearing. Another line that I use all the time with one of my friends in particular. A goose! <laughs> <laughs> Can you play that like three more times? There's no context for this, but uh, it's one of the outtakes again. Jim Carrey's just like, I think it almost could have made the cut because the context is he's in the courtroom basically just trying to figure out what truthful thing he can say when the only thing is coming out usually in that situation would be lies. And he's so popped out of truth that, you know, in other moments, he just literally makes noises or faces. And in this moment, he just crumples up a piece of paper, makes it into a bird-like shape, and then goes, A goose! (laughs) (laughs) And I use that all the time with one of my friends. Every time, like, we make something and it doesn't look quite right and it just like we make pasta and it just looks a bit overdone or it's floppy on the plate i was like a goose and it's just like makes everything better (laughs) it's that final bit of garnish on your fucking spaghetti yeah 
Um, it also the movie also works like the dramatic elements are good. Yes, you know Max being sad that he can't see his dad. It fucking works. It does work. I know. I know that it, that sounds really cheesy, but like there's a particular scene where uh, Max is basically like with his dad at his elementary school and Jim Carrey's trying to get Max to unwish the wish that he made on his birthday. And Max is like, I can't do it. And he's like, because I really just don't want you to lie. And I know that adults lie, but you're the only one who hurts me as a result of it. And somehow that fucking line just fucking lands very well. You know what I mean? But I can't. Why not? Because I don't want you to lie. I explained this. I have to lie. Everybody lies. Mommy lies. Even the wonderful Jerry lies. But you're the only one that makes me feel bad. God damn, you know, like they did like it really does hit him like a ton of bricks too. Only and it's like kids have that power too to say something to you that cuts through everything you've defined about yourself and makes yeah. you go, really? Like, because right. if your friend said that to you, you're like, yeah, whatever. Like, I know you too well. I know you have your own stuff going on. But kids yeah. are generally, especially at this age, like, just so innocent that you know it's just entirely honest. Right. Yeah. And it's like, it, it helps too that whenever Carrie has a scene with the kid where they have fun together, like, the kid is actually fucking laughing. Yeah. You know, like, it's, it's, it's actual playtime. I think it's also because you can tell that Jim Carrey is riffing a lot of this. I got that feeling when they're doing a song. They're singing Happy Birthday to the kid at the end of the movie. Spoiler alert, the kid gets older. And Jim Carrey is, he says Maximus. And Maura is saying Max. And in the moment, you can see her turn to Jim Carrey as he's saying Maximus and go, oh, are we supposed to say Maximus? And kind of like carries on with it. But you can tell it was an unscripted riff because Jim Carrey throughout this movie calls Max a different name, like a different nickname every time. Mm -hmm. And I think it is just real chemistry that Jim Carrey and this kid had. Yeah, there are several instances where Mora's laughing at the interactions with the kid. Yeah. And it doesn't, it's not staged. No. It's real. Well, Jim Carrey also is just such a charismatic actor. So I'm sure, like, even if you know what he's about to do, it must be so hard to keep a straight face. So if they tell you you're supposed to be laughing, you don't have to fake it. So there you go. Liar, Liar is a good fucking wheelie movie. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I much prefer it to fucking My Left Foot. Good Lord. Oh, yeah. Ugh. I mean, definitely a bit of a break for us because it's a departure from real wheelie movies. So we'll make sure that we eventually at least cover disability for real again. But I kind of like this. I think we made a good enough fucking argument. I think yeah, we definitely made a good enough argument. And we had some good disability discussions. It still counts. Yeah, it's still good. It's still good. Yeah. Uh, next week, we're going to watch the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and talk about how they're all disabled because they only eat pizza. That's a, it's, a, it's a weird disability. Um, 
I don't know. I, I turtle shells must be cumbersome. <laughs> they have to. They, they don't have. They don't have secure housing. They live in a fucking sewer. Their dad's a rat. All of those things. Yeah, yeah. Some uh, some lab somewhere in New York City laced them with ooze, and then they like became oversized. So they have like I don't know Chernobylitis or something. I don't know. I don't know. That's gonna be a tough sell. Yeah, I know, but that's another childhood movie that I would like to revisit in a uh, dubious context. All right, noted. Uh, do you want to do a real break game? Sure. Do you want to go first? Um, you have to be 100% able-bodied, but every time you ride in a public elevator, you have to fart <laughs> really loudly. Even if it's just me? Or do I have to like wait for people to come in with me? Well, I mean... I could just be in the lobby and uh, like I don't want to hit the button because I'm waiting for someone. And someone's like, oh, are you going up? Yeah, no, I was just waiting for you. And then I get <laughs> in the elevator with them and just let her rip. Yep, yep. And you and you, and as an able-bodied person, you work in a high-rise, so you ride the elevator like for 5% of your day. And I have to do it at the beginning of the ride. But you have to do it when there's people on there with you. You have to do it for your peak peak uh, embarrassment potential. And that's the only catch. Yeah. Do I have to take the elevator? Can I just take the stairs to avoid this fate? No, you can't take the stairs. So even as an able-bodied person, I'm destined to be using elevators all the time. Uh, Yes. Even in front of a disabled person? Will you at least let me not have to fart if the person in the elevator with me is disabled? Because not only why would you spare the wheelie of your fart? That's ableist. Because not only do I have to flaunt my able-bodied privilege in their face by taking the elevator when I don't need to, fuck that. But then I also have to ruin the the experience for them. (laughs) You've had fucking like SMA for thirty-four years. You, but they don't know that. And I don't think that will help if I fart <laughs> in the beginning of the ride and then go, don't worry, I used to have SMA. <laughs> don't, don't worry. They're not going to be like, oh, okay, fart again. <laughs> no, they'll be like, oh, okay, I get it, no problem. That said, yeah, it sounds like a pretty easy deal. Really? Yeah, like, I, I, I would just, you know, I'd probably get good at covering it up or making a joke or maybe like... Blaming it on the other person. Maybe I'd get like a really unhealthy dog, like a overweight English bulldog, and then just always look at him every time I fart and be like, dude, <laughs> again? <laughs> what the fuck are you saying? You're going to bring an English bulldog to work with you every day? <laughs> yeah, every day. I'm going to service fart dog. <laughs> what if you... What if you make it up the corporate ladder because you're able-bodied and everything's a thousand percent easier? Then maybe I'll get a bigger dog. What are you asking? <laughs> then you're going to have to ride the elevator like with like the head honchos and you're going to fart yourself back down the ladder. Yeah, but maybe it'll just be like a thing. Like I call him Toots or something. <laughs> yeah. Like he'll, he'll like have a sign around his neck that goes... It was me, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And it'll just be like, this is the dog that farts all the time. That's hilarious. Do you think he'll fart today? And I'll be like, if we're about to take the elevator, he sure will. (laughs) 
<laughs> Can Toots be a poodle? Toots the poodle. He could. The thing is, like, I don't think a poodle wears a toot as well as an English bulldog. <laughs> like, an English bulldog looks like a tooty dog. Yeah, but then you could be like, what do you expect? Poo is in the name. Yeah, I mean, maybe it would be good to subvert their expectations. Right. Yeah. Or get toot the poodle. That's fine. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> okay. I feel like that was too too easy then. Do you have a wheel breaker for me? For you? My wheel breaker is... Toots the Poodle. <laughs> I can't believe you took that in that direction. Like, holy fuck. You really spun a yard with that shit. Thank you. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I'm going to make a very similar one as you did. Based on this movie. I want to make you fully able-bodied. And every time... You get into an elevator with someone. You have to do Jim Carrey's The Claw and tickle everyone in the elevator until at least one person farts or pees a little. That's so elaborate. There's a chance that no one will fart or pee a little. You have to follow them. What? You're going to have to get good at tickling. No, I know... No you're wheel. checked out because you're on your phone right now. Put no your wheel. phone down and no get back wheel. into the episode. I was waiting for the wheel breaker. Okay, well, I don't want to do the claw to someone until they pee or fart. That's awful. You made me fart and disable people's faces. <laughs> no, I didn't. Yes, you did. <laughs> That's a gross misrepresentation of my wheel breaker. It is gross. <laughs> No wheel, Tony. I'm not tickling people. What if it was just you had to tickle them for the duration of the time they were on the elevator? My God. Can you even just like let that play out in your head? Imagine someone attack tickling another person in a public setting. Yeah, but you can play it up. But it's the clue. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. I would get shot. Your baby depends yeah. which elevator you're in for sure. I, I would, I, I, it would for sure, I would for sure be arrested. Okay, it's only the elevator in your workplace. I would be fired. It, it would be the last time I ever rode the elevator at work. No, but you, you choose where you work so that you make sure you don't work where, you know, there are people with guns. <laughs> what? <laughs> what is this wheel breaker tickling people? You can't, you don't get on your high horse <laughs> after giving me a real breaker about <laughs> farting in elevators with strangers. And then be like, your real breakers are pitiful in comparison. <laughs> don't want to hear some god of real breakers here. The gatekeeper of a good hypothetical scenario. <laughs> I draw the light at tickling. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying you would rather be disabled and have cerebral palsy for the rest of your life than to tickle a stranger every day on your commute. Imagine how uncomfortable it would be to tickle a stranger. Imagine. Question. Would you have taken the wheel breaker you gave me? Uh, Yeah, maybe. So you're more open to farting in strangers than tickling them. Well, I have some experience farting involuntarily. 
Oh, that's true. You don't even as much experience tickling people. Yeah, like imagine if the person that you told me to tickle was someone scary like Gordon Ramsay or something, and he's like, what are you doing? But if you hand it up like Jim Carrey does, he's not going to think you're a threat. I, I don't have the fucking appealing charisma of Jim Carrey. What if I gave that to you as what? part of my wizardry? Well, but then I'm not me. I give you a momentary lapse of Jim Carrey tickle charisma. I don't know, man. It would have to be 1997 for that even to work. That's 20- also true. Yeah, you would definitely get into some hot water with people being like, he assaulted me and be like, it was the claw. Yeah, it was only tickling. <laughs> I was just trying to make you pee yourself. <laughs> you could have just farted and it would have been over. <laughs> it would have been over. <laughs> <You could've... laughs> yeah, this. there's no way to possibly reasonably entertain this wheel breaker. <laughs> This is entertaining. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, oh. This is why your sound is more fun than nobody. Yeah, you're right. You're right. All right. Well, fair enough. You don't have to take the deal, but I appreciate you entertaining it. Well, you didn't. Even, like, I feel like I entertained I, it for you. I don't even think, like, I'm just trying to think, like, let's say every day, like, the coolest, most easygoing people came onto the elevator with me. Like, even tickling them wouldn't be, you know... I will admit, I would rather you fart in my face than tickle me. Uh, yeah, see, I can't even... T- if if I can't even tickle you to survive the wheelbreaker scenario, then I'm fucked. Yeah. You know? You know? Well, then I guess you have no choice but to stay disabled. <laughs> I had a choice, but it was a bad one. And, yeah. Fair enough. Plus, it also presupposes that I'm a good tickler. You just wait till you burn through your last pair of steel-toed boots on your walk down the street, and you're cursing my name, being like, fine, I'll take the deal. The deal's too late. Imagine one day I accidentally start like a little fire on someone's front lawn. Oh, you're going to for sure. <laughs> I have a stupid story. Today I was in the, I, I was in the bathroom, and I, uh, I was brushing my teeth in the morning. I went to like fall back into my chair and go back to my desk and the the toothpaste fell on the ground and it fell right between like my large wheel and my front caster like it was literally perfectly situated like as though like the the toothpaste was molded to fit within that little crevice and i was like you have to be fucking kidding me like this is this is like a like a really mouse trap like loaded loaded with cheese and i was like if i even look at my power chair joystick right now i will run over this toothpaste and squirt it all over the fucking bathroom (laughs) and you know what you know what my parents would not believe me that i didn't do it intentionally (laughs) they just wouldn't my dad's funny how little faith your parents have in you that they're (laughs) like you i know that you ruined our tiles with your drunken stupor and there's no way you didn't put this toothpaste exactly in this place <laughs> like you're just so bored in your day-to-day yeah, yeah, you're, you're like, like watch this this will get yeah, him yeah yeah this is how i can fuck with my starved for attention mom <laughs> <laughs> Imagine it ends up being a worse offense than ruin it, ruin it, ruining the linoleum. <laughs> and it's just like, like 
he made me scrub fucking toothpaste for 90 minutes. <laughs> I'll be honest, I've, I'm definitely guilty of asking my attendants to get too much toothpaste out of the end of that tube. Like, it's done, and I should just get rid of it. But I'm like, there's still more in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's they're like, the no, there is. I'm like, you can do it. Yeah, that's the Eastern European in me. I just, I uh, I have to, <clears throat> the the toothpaste has to be, like, totally empty. Yeah. I don't want to yeah. waste it. No, of course I'll not. I'll eat leftovers for days so I avoid wasting them. And yeah. I, I just, like, I don't know. I came from a poor family, so wasting anything was terrible. But here's the kicker, Tony, is that I ended up uh, being six minutes over my allotted break time because it took me 12 minutes to pick up the fucking tube of toothpaste. Because <laughs> you didn't call your parents or they wouldn't help you? They were out. They were going, they were like uh, out walking or something. You when you got, when you got- yeah, so I had no fucking evidence. I couldn't, like, because if I could have called them, then it would have been problem solved. It's also not even, like, at that point, you have to lie to your boss. About why you were late. You <laughs> yeah. be like, there was a roll of toothpaste. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's not going to understand that yeah. at all. You just have to be like, sorry, I shit myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, like, the worst would be like, because I played the wheelie card, the boss would have to be like, oh, you know what? Like, that's fine. Like, I totally understand. But they wouldn't understand at <laughs> all. <laughs> like, maybe like some blind shame, like, I don't really know something about toothpaste. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Apparently that asshole got it stuck under his chair somehow. <laughs> I don't understand why toothpaste would ever be on the Mary probably just was too embarrassed to tell me he shit himself. <laughs> yeah. It would have been less embarrassing to say I shit myself <laughs> versus there was a risk of me running over a tube of toothpaste with a 500-pound piece of machinery. <laughs> <laughs> I remember... As a kid, I fell off a toilet. <laughs> and, and I hurt myself. I had to go to the hospital. Oh my God, that's and, the worst reason to go to the hospital. And I, I remember going to the hospital with my parents, and they asked me what happened, and I said, I fell off the toilet. And they, they looked at my parents, and they're like, do you mind stepping out for a minute so we can talk to them? And they were like, okay, now what really happened? Oh, no. And I was like, why would I tell you I fell off the toilet if that's not what was happening? <laughs> and they thought that my parents were abusing me and that I, that was my cover story. <laughs> and then for weeks after, people were like, where were you? Because I was off school for a couple of days. What a hilarious reason to have a prolonged hospital. I find this so funny. I'm so glad you're laughing because that's the exact reaction I want to get. <laughs> oh my god. So I was out of school. <laughs> It'd be so funny if they just like prescribed you like a softer like toilet cushion <laughs> and shit. And just like, all right, little buddy, don't fall. <laughs> and I remember oh. going to school and my friend would be like, where were you? 
<laughs> I had to just lie every time and make up a new reason why I was out of school. <laughs> I remember at one point, like a week later, one of my friends was like, I don't believe it. I bet you fell off a toilet. <laughs> and I was devastated because I was like, who told you? <laughs> who told you? <laughs> Imagine getting that reaction. Oh, so yeah, I can relate to the toothpaste thing. One, one time, one time in, in university, or no, sorry, uh, this was uh, uh, middle school. I'm so used to all the embarrassing things happening to me in university, but um, in uh, middle school, I uh, I remember like it was just the weekend, and I was I was at home and I was like crawling on the floor because I'm disabled and sometimes I can't always be in my walker, and so I was like we when I was in middle school and I played video games, I'd always play in a prone position, lying down in front of the TV, and so I was doing that, and then I like got up and. I noticed that the dog, like we had a little Shih Tzu, her name was Phoebe, and she was like off in the corner, like eating something off of the carpet. And I was like, what the fuck? There's no food over there. What is she doing? And I went, like I crawled over to her to investigate. And I guess I got too close to the food and she bit me on the nose. (laughs) And I bled for like forever. And I had such a like huge scar on my nose that my mom gave me the day off of school. And when I came back, the next like the next day like my homeroom teacher thought i had some kind of like severe like sinus problem or something or <laughs> i don't know just that i was really super sick cuz i had this like bandage on my face yeah. <laughs> and i guess i'd lost some color or something and <laughs> my mom had to be like no that like the dog bit him on the nose <laughs> <laughs> yeah when the actual reason is more embarrassing than any other made up reason you could give them yeah, and then they have to be like, well, 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 why was his face near the dogs? <laughs> because he was crawling on the floor, obviously. Yeah. Beside the dog's food. It- <laughs> Sometimes it- Jamie likes to have lunch with the dogs. <laughs> you know how much Jamie's nose looks like kibble. <laughs> you know how much of a feral house dog he is. <laughs> oh, it's good stuff. I think we should end it right there. All right. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Uh, again- Take care. Yeah. Take Until care. Next time. Don't watch Broad City. Don't watch Liar Liar. Don't be disabled if you're a bad dad. Yeah.